2: This is off track, track with Hinch and Rossi.
1: <laughs>
3: Hello and
2: welcome. Oh God, I, I I feel like I sound horrible. Still, I feel like I went out hard on Sunday night, and I lost my voice. Yeah, and now I still don't really sound like it myself. Yeah. Alex is not agreeing with me. Bye. He's agreeing with someone else that he's talking to in the room. <laughs> <laughs> he has a house guest who walks so, into his office, but
3: okay, so. I I feel bad that James, James, you shouldn't have to talk. Like you've been, (laughs) you've been talking so eloquently and so well for so many days in a row. Now you must be very over it.
2: I I feel like it was easy to lose my voice on Sunday because it was already just like, like hanging on by a thread. I never really thought about that, about having to just actually talk for six hours a day, every day for like a week and a half. And that 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 actually you wear you, your throat your your voice wears out sometimes that's a real thing.
3: Oh, for sure. And like, take that to the next level. Like, let's look at Celine Dion, right? Five five live performances a week and Dude, singing I, her ball Yeah, out. like
2: absolutely taking your voice to the max. Like, I don't understand how singers do it. I mean, I I can't tell if that's is that a skill. Is that something you can learn how to manage, or is that just it's gotta be genetic like, freakishness. It's
3: gotta be a, a a muscle of sorts, right? That you can train to have right. more tolerance, because like you 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 hear about them doing like vocal exercises and warm ups, and that is true. That is true, right? So it's gotta be something that. It's like I don't understand how people who are massage therapists like oh, have their the hands. endurance within
2: their hands. So it's gotta be
3: something that. But
2: that, I mean, that makes more sense. Like there's, there's muscles there's exactly in your hands. Muscles.
3: There's got to be a muscle in your throat that allows Maybe. you to talk,
2: right? Maybe it has have bitchy little vocal no, cords. Are vocal cords muscles?
3: I don't it's think... A, it's a tendon, right? Sort? I don't know. Yeah, I don't
1: know. It's That's never something I'll I've really looked what, into. We're certainly not going to look it up.
3: No, no. So
2: if anybody wants to send us a PDF on, you know, <laughs> the ins and outs of how voices work and if you can train them to last longer... That'd be cool. Tim probably won't read it. Alex definitely won't read it, but I might glance it over. Um, well, thank you, Alex. That is kind of you to say. It, it was. Um, it was. It's funny. We were joking about this this morning at the gym. Like, I put more hours. I what well, I call on air the equivalent of being on track, right? Not in terms of obviously effort and risk and all of that sort of thing, but like I had to be on. For the entire, every time there was a car on track for the entire month bar one day, I got one day off. I was in the booth or on the ground or whatever, commentating it.
3: So like, and it takes a lot of effort to pretend to be excited
2: about that. Some of the practice days are (laughs) mind numbingly boring and you can't let that be what, how you feel, or at least how you you are portrayed.
3: there's, there's There's a lot of reasons why I'll never be a commentator, but that's that's up there
2: that's
1: really up there
3: for sure Yeah, i don't know
1: maybe they need that in the booth maybe they need somebody just be
3: like oh my god again i still think the the interview of the month was after qualifying for me (laughs) your four-word interview answered
2: all the questions (laughs) three questions four words (laughs) did you it looked like maybe you took out downforce nope added okay you think you're gonna go back out again yeah you know what to do to go faster? No. Alexander Rossi everybody. Oh Thanks for chatting with us.
3: <laughs> or Dave Burns, man. All of which was completely
1: true. It's like,
2: yes, yes, technically that is accurate. Yes, that's that's fair.
1: That's fine. Um all right, so I yeah, I don't think the st- problem was the veracity of it. I think it was that you were being an asshole. Don't interview me. It's real simple. Like <laughs>
2: My favorite my favorite was still last night the uh the victory banquet happened and I watched uh portions of it on T V and I watched your speech and you had the quote of the night because um or one of the quotes of the night, certainly when uh Dave Calabro said, you know, in 2018 and 19, you had really good races. But then in 2021, 20 you kind of had, you know, rougher days at the track. And those were the days with less fans. Now we're back to full song and you went from 20th to fifth. So obviously, you know, you're, you know, you, you, you show up for the fans kind of thing. And your your line was something like, yeah, who'd have thought Alexander Rossi was like fueled by people. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm equally as surprised yeah. as everyone else. Yeah, the, uh, the, I just wanted to get away favorite. from there sooner.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I
3: mean, so let's let's talk about that. So you mentioned you mentioned the banquet. Obviously, the 500 happened this week, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But like, how good was it to be there on Sunday race day morning and have the Indy 500 back to what it should be?
2: Dude, it's it's so tough to explain in in. Well, here, I kind of want you to go first because I I saw Sunday through a different lens than I've had the chance to see before for you know, obvious reasons. But let's, for you, you know, you were there in the hundredth, You won it. You've been there for a lot of big crowds. But after the absence of anyone in 20 and then a portion of the fans in 21, how different was it for you on race morning?
3: it i don't think it was different it was it was what i fell in love with in 2016 you know 2020 and 2021 was the different ones and those were the ones where you felt like there's something missing this isn't the same this is cool right because it's still the indy 500 and we still want to win but like there was there were so many elements that weren't right and there were so many things that you just you missed immensely because it's not again when you're in the moment when you're competing when you're there working when you're doing it up until 2020 this was all just kind of normal and you took it for granted right you, you truly truly did so then having it all come back it was like this is this is awesome this is what makes me love this race so much and makes me want to keep coming back and doing it over and over again so I don't think it was different I just think it was such a relief to have those same emotions and those same feelings like Borderline. I know. Again, this is going to surprise people, but walking through Gasoline Alley, like you're almost emotional about it because you oh, kind of almost come out emotional. Of that tunnel. <laughs> you come out of that tunnel, and you see you see everyone, you hear everything. You just it it absorbs you, and um, it was really really cool.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's so powerful. I think being there on race morning and just feeling that energy back in, in the stadium, you know? And for me, it was so, it was such a different experience, man, like waking up on race morning and not having any of the thoughts that you have as a driver. And, you know, in terms of just, you're running through the race, like as soon as you wake up, you're planning for things, you're contemplating changes you've made to the car, you're looking at the weather, you're so focused, you see it all and you hear it all and you feel it all but there's still like a very large portion of you and your mind and your focus that's already in the car and shutting down everything external. And last Sunday, I had the chance to kind of, you know, I, I walked out of the bus, I stayed in the bus lot, I walked out of the bus, and from the minute I got out, could just observe and enjoy other people's love for the Indy 500 in a way. And just seeing, first of all, the families in the bus lots of the drivers and everybody was kind of gathered around kind of saying their last little moments before they'd go off to engineering or whatever. And then, you know, we started heading out to the track a little bit early. Our pre-show was an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes, whatever before the green flag. So you start seeing the stands fill up and you start seeing the people on pit lane and the people on the racetrack and it all just hit a little bit differently. And then, you know, from our vantage point and the ninth floor of the Pagoda, you know, we were up there. I don't know. We probably got up there around just before noon, maybe. Mm -hmm. And race was 1240 start, something like that. And, you know, you're watching the grid clear, the stands start to fill up. Like I would have loved to have had a time lapse of the stands filling up, even just from where we were sitting. And then you go through all the ceremonial stuff, all the songs, Anthem, uh, back home again, in Indiana, God bless America, taps, all that stuff. And like, I was getting nervous for you guys. Like, I know, like, I know that feeling on the grid and you're just like, it's such a longer pre-race on the grid than any other race, right? Normally you get your invocation, Anthem, driver, start your engines, off you go. This one takes like an hour. And so you're standing out there in the baking sun. Cause it was a million degrees that day. Sun was out and I just, you get like, the, you just get this, it's like this anticipation, right? and uh and that was always the hardest part about pre-race for me is i was just so anxious to get in the car and get things going but to just kind of stand up there and, and see it all from above it was it was awesome man and like the flyover was cool because it nearly they nearly took our heads off you know they the were <laughs> badass like, <laughs> i was the I, second i one. hope
3: i hope this day doesn't i want to word this carefully because obviously i'm sensitive to what you're going through what Ryan Hunter Ray is going through but I do look forward to the day that I can go to the 500 as a fan yes 100 because it's it must be such a such a cool thing to just be able to not like I loved going to the F1 race in Miami just because I showed up to a racetrack and that was the first race I think I've ever really been to as an adult where I wasn't competing right and I was just purely there to take it all in and this is the best one right so it'll a a cool day when i get it's it's gonna be great it's gonna be great
2: and one day i would also like to see it without any responsibilities (laughs) and fully
3: just get to enjoy it yeah yeah
2: but at the same time like where i was it's the best seat in the house that's not on the racetrack because you see all the action where did you
3: were you in the peacock thingy
2: booth no we were no we started there for the pre-race show for about half an hour and then we ended up we, we do it from the ninth floor of the pagoda
3: but there was people because when we did the red flag, there was people in that. booth Yes. Thing. So okay. Mike Tarico, Dale Jr., and
2: Dan Kapatrick were on the on the pit box.
3: Got it. Got um, it. So s- now that we're talking about the race, yeah, let's talk about it. What let's, do you let's- think? Because I didn't obviously see the race. Right. I- you see, you
2: see one race. Right. You see the race of the twenty seven Napa Auto Nation Honda for Andretti Autosport.
3: Nice.
2: It's, it's getting. I'm getting better at it. <laughs> The beautiful blue and pink, number 27. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so the race was, it, it was interesting because the first half was fairly anticlimactic
1: in a way. I was going to say, is this where you're not allowed to say something's boring?
2: Yeah, because well, yeah, I, I don't, it's because it's, it's, it's really hard because I've been there. It's hard to ever call being on that track racing around boring because even the guys that are just stuck in a line in 14th place, they're like saving their lives every single lap, right? Like it's still incredibly hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As as Alex gonna but up you know up front the It it was fascinating as a race, like a diehard race fan, to see how well the Ganassi guys were executing their plan of Scott and Alex up there rotating, not trying to save too much fuel because you know Dixon said before the start of the race, trying to save too much is actually what screwed them last year. And so he's like, I want to be up front. Well, cause the yellow came out and he hadn't pitted. Right. You disagree with that?
3: No, I, I do. Cause I was on that same exact boat. Right. What, what screwed us was we were fine. Fa- we made it. What screwed us is when the engines turned off, it took two laps to restart it is ultimately what screwed us. Cause we made it to that, that same sequence that Elio did that Palou did. We just ran out of fuel coming into pit lane right and then we had to reprime the engines for two laps right so so you, so you didn't you didn't make it well no because we did it's not like we had to get towed back to pit lane like okay you can had, coast into your box had you had you pit before the yellow it would have been better sure
2: right and other guys pit before the yellow
3: had you been able to fuel and plug us harder and 100 yeah.
2: 100 anyway anyway scott's approach was going to be different this year it was going to be up front lead the laps work with his teammate to save a bit of fuel, whatever, whatever. Like that first stint, man, Pato maybe was kind of running fourth, fifth. And he went like four or five laps longer in that first stint because he never let a lap and was just coasting around the whole time. So that's over the race. That's obviously a huge difference and a big advantage. But these guys just had their plan. They were sticking to it. Renis was kind of involved, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, the, the Renis accident was kind of a surprise didn't really it was kind of too early to change anything it was sort of right around the time people needed to stop anyway or right after everyone had just stopped so it didn't really change the complexity but then once we got to the second half and we had those other accidents that kind of happened in odd parts of the pit cycles then it was really interesting so like the first half of the race it was more just kind of an awe of how fast the ganassi cars were and how flawlessly they were executing their strategy Lowe got hosed by the penalty. You're like, okay, now they've lost, you know, one of the dogs in the fight. Renas has his accident. So two of the top three cars are now essentially out of contention. And it just mixes up the whole thing. Then all these accidents happen, guys mix up. And then the way it ended, have you, I I assume you haven't rewatched the last little bit. I did. You did. How far back did you like watch?
3: I just watched the last 30. Oh, yeah. Okay. So 20 or so. Yeah.
2: So you get, You know, the McLaren guys got themselves in an incredible position. Felix Mm -hmm. was leading, Pato was second. And then there was this rocket ship (laughs) that was lit up behind them that Under Green just drove up to, through, around, and away
3: from. And left. Yeah.
2: Just, I, I mean, never all race or all month has anyone been able to just walk away from another car while leading a pack like that, like Marcus did. That thing was absolutely on fire so when that when the yellow came out with six to go or whatever i was just like oh my god and i knew it was gonna go red i just knew they were gonna do it and they had to do it and it was the right move 100 and set up this absolutely insane shootout two laps with the the swedish snake is what we're calling it now the move down the front straight and back straight to break the draft it looks insane. It's probably insanely dangerous, but it's like what you have to do.
3: All right. And if you, you so look we're at gonna, how close, we're look gonna at tape. how close.
2: Yeah, yeah, Hold on. But look at how close Pato came to getting him going into one of that last lap. Okay. All right, Let's hear it.
3: No. It's not we need to <laughs> we need to stop this. Okay? Hey, man, Yeah. I'm prefacing this by saying Marcus did nothing wrong. He 100% did what he was supposed to do to win the race. That is fine. I'm not taking anything away from it. The rules allow this it. Happened. This, this happened. This happened in 2019, right, right in my face, right to with you, Simon. to me, and I remember vividly. It was like, wow, that's a new one. Okay, you kind of lick your wounds, you get through the disappointment. Simon beat us. Fine. I had a phone call with with IndyCar and and the race direction people later that week, and I was like, okay, guys, what he did was not blocking. That's fine. What he did. No, I don't think was necessarily dangerous. And remember this for a second. Or remember that for a later comment I'm going to make wasn't dangerous wasn't blocking fine with it. However, is this the way you want to end Indy 500s? Because that is pretty much unbeatable. Like that's not something that you can win against. Okay. So are we good with going forward with this being the, the end of our shows now? And and this is going to be what it is. And they're like, well, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Whatever. Fast forward 2020 ends under yellow, which again, that Scott must've been furious sitting there this year. Right. Because had that been red flagged in 2020 and gone green again, Takuma wouldn't have made it on fuel. That sucks for Scott. 2021. The move for the, the win came, what, four laps from the end? Something five like that, laps yeah. from the end? And maybe Alex was, A, thought he could get him back, or B, wasn't super willing to do the, the snake thing? Okay. So we hadn't seen it in two years.
1: What is the snake thing? What? What is the Swedish? So the snake the, the, the I mean, snake
2: thing is if if you watch if you I mean it was the French dragon because Pagano kind of started it but we were calling it the Swedish snake and that's when you come off of two and four and aggressively swerve to all the way drivers left then all the way drivers right and then all the way drivers left again to essentially try to break the draft it's making that. the car behind have just a little bit of fresh air hitting it and slowing it down. As, as opposed to coming off the corner and being in a straight line, the, the following car can be right in your wheel tracks, getting 100% of the benefit of the draft. You're taking away, I don't know what the number is, Alex, 10 20% maybe of the effectiveness of the draft, but that can make the difference between getting past or not.
3: Especially in these cars, which do not tow up as well as, as they used to. So fast forward to, we go to this production, right? Red flagging the race, cleaning it up. We want to give the fans a green, white checkered finish. Yes, I get it. I'm on board with it. That was the right move. That's what you got to do. The fact that change positions in a two-lap shootout for the for winning the Indianapolis 500. I'm not saying that Pado didn't get very close, and I'm not saying that what Marcus did was bad because as soon as Pado got next to him, he stopped. So Marcus did everything in his right. My issue with it is it was very anticlimactic in a sense, I thought. And second of all, Marcus had to be so aggressive off of four that he was literally in pit lane. Yeah. And so no one would do this intentionally. But let's say, for example, Marcus popped at the last second to avoid the attenuator. And, Pato, your tunnel vision, your focus on their wheel tracks, like that is a incredibly dangerous and bad situation.
2: Yeah. I, I was very surprised that he went literally over the solid line separating pit in, which we are told is not a, it's not an enforceable line. No, it's a reference again, point. Did nothing wrong. Again, he did nothing wrong, but yes, I was floored by that as well when I saw that happen.
3: So I'm like, okay guys, this is getting like, we're, we're we've now done it twice. <laughs> it's real on the limit. Okay. So I feel like there needs to be some quantifiable line that we draw. Okay. Is that, you can defend once to the inside or outside. Let's say, go back to 2019. Simon had a car that was so good, he could basically paint the white line. So right. he can then choose, I'm defending the outside and then back to covering the inside. Or you exit a normal race line, you defend the inside, you go back to the outside, right? But you got you to gotta put a limit on this at some point, right? Because the next progression is, you're literally just going to add four more turns into the snake, Right? and then it's like okay well that that is blocking right to a certain extent so you're yeah. no longer breaking the draft you're literally not giving a car any real estate to go anywhere right for sure so, no i i agree i
2: agree 100% i agree i echo the sentiments exactly marcus did everything right everything he should have done to win the race that's the only goal within the rules he did it absolute kudos to him to keep to keep his wits about him after the red flag i mean like yep. he did oh, sure. incredible but I agree with you that we probably need to look at how that race is officiated and what the rule is for that exact scenario. Um, it's funny, man, because I was sitting there that night and thinking about this very topic. And I thought back to 2006 and I was like, man, if that was a thing back in oh six, would Marco have won?
3: Well, if this was a thing in 2013, Elia would have five or 14. 12 whenever hunter a won. 14 (laughs) 14
2: yeah it's yeah i mean it's, it's um it's funny because there was a driver that used to do this um while not even leading and at any point in the race and it was deemed very dangerous and unnecessary and he was told not to do it and he would even do it on road courses like on like at road america he would do this for example
3: well after 2019 i started doing it on road <laughs> courses because yeah. it was like oh
2: that's a good idea right and it's like everybody looked at this guy and was like this is stupid you shouldn't do that it's dangerous because it wasn't for the lead of the biggest race and it didn't look cool in that scenario and so it's like well all right fine so just put that on in the middle of the grid at texas and somebody starts doing that down the back straight everyone's going to be like what the f- are you doing man like that's don't do that that's stupid and it's dangerous but we've just allowed it here at the biggest race in the world. So I, I'm actually very much in agreement with you on that. Um, and I, and I, wonder, I wonder what, if anything, comes of it, but.
3: Well, so I, I again, had that same conversation, you know, posting oh, 500 so you, with, I did this it year. again this year. Yep. Okay. Picked up his phone and was like, hey, here we are again, <laughs> round two. What are we thinking, <laughs> right? And it, to IndyCars credit, they're very open to the discussion. They're very open to looking at alternative ways to police that or change that. And one of the questions was, because, you know, these they are not racing drivers was, well, so surely it's a disadvantage that the leader has and they're scrubbing speed. And it's like, no, I mean, okay. And they said, well, is it not possible if like second and third work together, you know, and could like just be faster than him? And I said, Sure. Maybe two issues with that. One, you get to the corner and there's nowhere to go. So everyone falls in line. Two, again, he's using the entire straightaway. This isn't he's weaving on the left side and then there's this, this right side that, against the wall that's a lane, right? He's literally going from pit lane to the outside wall back to the inside wall, right? So that, cool, there's two cars that are behind him. They're going two miles an hour faster. What are they supposed to do, right? so and they were very very receptive to that and i think i think based on that conversation there is going to be some sort of adjustment it's just how do you define it then how do you police it and obviously that opens a whole nother can of work so we'll
2: see yeah because the last thing you want is a, a pass for the lead with one or two laps to go at the indy 500 to end up in the in the direct, in the race director's booth for review because well
3: so so the, an argument was well then you'd never want to lead and it's like okay that is part of the strategy like i Hunter Ray decided that he was okay to let Elio go because he knew he could potentially get a run and line it up and go for it in the last lap. Like that is also part of the race
2: when, yeah, when you, when you look back at, um, you know, the, the, that, that era, the 2012 to 14 with the original body kit, even the manufacturer kit era, that, that was the deal. Like you always had to think, all right, when do I want to make this move? Because as soon as I'm out front, I'm now susceptible to getting, getting past. And And, but, but what, what was interesting was still that in the stint before Marcus caught up to drove around and pulled away from somebody, which is like, it just didn't happen all day and it hasn't happened all month. Like it was wild, wild how fast that car was.
3: No, I mean, the the whole organization was on a completely different level. So huge kudos to them because to accomplish that here's, here's where it's amazing. You know, there is so much difference that exists in, in the parts, you know, that we as IndyCar teams are given to build the race car. And, and there's just, it's different pieces, right? And so each car is going to be slightly better or worse in some environments because of just manufacturing processes, right? So this is how they were so good that they were able to overcome, because there's no way that they were able to find five mega floors five mega wings five mega whatever right yeah so they had such a margin on everyone that all five of their cars could overcome those discrepancies
2: right even their slowest car right was fast enough to be faster than most people's best stuff with all the same parts and yeah. yeah um so there's yeah there's definitely there's definitely a trick in in the toolbox over there that is working very well and yeah i mean credit to them it's it's crazy to think they had that many you know arrows in the quiver and i mean nearly nearly still didn't get it
3: that's how tough this race is you're right i don't ever think it was nearly didn't dude turn one in the last lap okay yes i mean
2: potto was wheel he was nose ahead i know
3: but let me tell you how low of grip lane two was all Yeah. because my (laughs) guy i tried it over and over again and it was not awesome.
2: So speaking, speaking of notable efforts this month, uh, Alex Rossi, pat on the back. Excellent work. Hey,
3: when you uh, underperform nope. in qualifying, there's only one way to go. Well, are we you saying say that.
1: Are we talking about his race performance or the hot tub prank? Because we're both getting were to impressive. That. We're getting to that. Um, so,
2: yes, uh, fifth from 20th, highest placing Andretti Autosport or Andretti Autosport affiliated car. Uh, very, very... there's a lot of them. That's like a a quarter of the field. So, uh, very, very solid. It was nice to see, uh, it was nice to see Alex Rossi back where he belongs at the speedway at the sharp end and on a very difficult day. Can we, can, can you talk to us just about turn two and what the hell was going on there and why it was so difficult and why we
3: lost so many cars there?
0: Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to explain. I mean, James, you'll understand. So, like, you know, there was a wind that was—it was either from two to four, so a diagonal from two to four, or just a straight head tailwind from two to three, Mm -hmm. right? So either of those situations where you'd kind of come through turn one, and you would, you would kind of go into a a wind of sorts. Like you'd you'd come out of because if it's a direct headwind, right, it's pretty stable. You turn in and then there's an adjustment because you're either turning into some wind or you're leaving that wind that was helping you. Right. So turn one in the middle was strange. And so there would just be some inconsistencies that would happen on the mid to exit there, but it was pretty manageable. Right. But what we've really realized, and it's something that we all, I think, intuitively know, but until you like talk about it, it's like, ah that makes a lot of sense. Turn one and three are usually so much easier because the tires have had the whole straightaway to kind of cool down and they've gotten a break, right? And you go through one and three and then two and four, the tires have done a lot of work at 220 miles an hour to keep this little race car pointing in the right direction. And so then any other kind of thing that can be a performance disadvantage, whether that's wind or track temp because sun's beating on this particular area of the track, the tire has that much less margin and availability to give you that grip, right? So you'd come out of one and it was already kind of kind of strange. So you'd get to two, which was by far the worst wind that you could ask for in the sense that you were turning in and as you got to the middle of the corner, wind was coming up the back of the car, which is a downforce loss, is a COP loss, and COP, meaning you lose the the, the amount aer- of aerodynamic front grip, essentially. Aerodynamic front grip. And you're also picking up the rear of the car. Yeah, because right? and this this
2: goes back to our discussion about why tailwind, you know, think about an indie car is designed to cut so smoothly through the air going forwards. Yep. But the back of the car, it's like a doesn't parachute matter. if it goes the other way. So even a, a five mile an hour headwind almost doesn't affect the car, but a five mile an hour tailwind, you're gonna feel a lot more.
3: Correct. So you have this sail out the back that as you turn into two, it just pushes you in, you know, a, an ever-changing direction, it would seem. Um, so usually, you know, your are fifth gear by yourself in traffic, most of the corners. Like, that's just the gear, the race gear that you choose. Six gears when you're in a straightaway in a tow. Fourth gear is when there's a lot of traffic and you have a, a, a slowdown gear, essentially. I didn't use fifth gear in turn two once. Like, that is, that is how slow that corner was that I had to use the gear that you'd use like on a restart when you're on the brakes in turn one. That's wild to me. So and so the fact that so many people crash there is not a surprise. I almost wrote it off. 40 times. And that's the thing. I've seen a lot of other people's
2: like onboard clips that they've shown me or posted or whatever of their moments in turn two or and even turn one. Like it was just, it just seemed like some of the most challenging conditions with the track temps, the way they were the wind, the way it was. Yeah, so- it was just weird. It was
3: weird all month. Like the track seemed way more grip sensitive than even normal. You know, we were dealing with high track temps, but not stupid. You know, 118, 120. You, we've seen high 120s before usually like 115 to 120 that's still in a, in a okay range that's kind of where it like, starts to fall off right now like, it seems like now it's like you get above 110 and it's garbage yeah. yeah it's uh you know
2: we had we talked a lot over the month about that the penetrant the sealant that went down on the racetrack and how that's probably affected this somehow and mm-hmm. kind of lowered the that threshold of track yeah, temp where you sure. really start to to lose the grip um Okay, so for you, any, any like, notable surprises or anything no, that stood I out? was all I, pretty I,
3: standard. Yeah. I mean, the only cars I really ever passed, one starts and restarts. So, I mean, that's it's about par for the course. Um, you know, it was a day of, like everyone, try and be aggressive then and then save as much fuel as you can and hope things go your way. I don't think we ever – we never got a huge break from yellow – um, but we also never got burned to buy one, which sometimes in indie Car racing you'll take that. Um, the crew was phenomenal in Pit lane, like really, really impressive. So they, uh, you know, this is the sixth group that we've had. and I think we found it so this year, this year. yeah, yeah. and um, completely executed as as much as I could ever ask for them. So you know it was a it was a really cool day from that standpoint and, and it gave us a lot of good momentum. You know, going into another another race this weekend on a track that we've been super strong in the past.
2: Right on. All right, let's get to what uh,
3: what the world wants to know about. Yes. How'd you Roman come up with Roman Grosjean's scooters <laughs> in the sniper's nest?
2: No, I've I've got a video I'm going to post about that later. But let's talk about wait, Connor Daly's. Oh, I've got all the evidence, bro. I've oh, wait, you did all- that too?
3: <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> he did. He had accomplices. Connor Daly's hot tub scandal. Hot tub gate 2020. Big
0: deal. Big deal. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's
1: Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary.
2: How did you come up with the idea? How did you know what Orbeez were? And how did you come up with this idea?
3: Uh, Sage Karam. You know, his wife is a school teacher.
2: <laughs> See, that's where... So somebody had this great theory that it had to be a dad or a parent.
3: because that was my theory. Was, was that... that off no. The, off the trail. It was.
2: Was it? Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was Gordo's theory. Nope.
1: Well, then you also had oh. a whole like an alibi because it was Monday night when we were recording no, with Connor. So
3: Connor, this is where Con—no, this is where Connor messed up. He said that that he heard stuff. It was not Monday night. It was most definitely Tuesday morning. Okay. So my alibi was irrelevant because it didn't happen on Monday. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. So Sage came up with the idea. How did you come up? How did you know how many to put in? Because that was so perfectly. When, I, when you when you showed the tweet eventually saying you put in, what was it, 1.75 million gel balls? Yes. <laughs> I, I, that absolutely baffles everything and everyone. But yep. how, how did you $483 establish- $483 worth, I think. Almost as much as the hot tub itself. Yep. Mm-hmm. So tell me- Tell me how you knew how many to put in. Was this like a volume thing Yeah, James, it's a
3: simple equation. You know, I did a lot of research, got in on the forums. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. Know, you know, there's, there. there's a weird subreddit about Orbeez. In hot tubs, yeah. 100%. Our Orbeez hot tubs. So yeah. Depending on, depending on <laughs> the brand, depending on the size of the Orbeez that you're essentially, they're going to grow to, there's an equation you can do for the volume of the hot tubs. So then you research how many gallons the hot tub is and essentially how full you want it. And so here we are 1.75 <laughs> million Orbeez to fill a 242 gallon portable hot tub. Um,
2: but who's counting?
3: Yeah, no. Awesome. And, and incredibly easy to do. Like all I had was like a, like a, one of those storage, like Tupperware things like the keep Christmas you know, storage stuff bin. Yeah. Yeah. And it only filled like a quarter of it. Like these things are nerds, They're like tiny, nerds candy. Yeah. Um, so it was very easy to do. It took literally five seconds. You know, walking through the back of the buses, unclipping the hot tub, and just you pour them in. And like in four hours, your job's done. So they um, they
1: absorb the water, and that's how they, that's they, how they absorb grew. the
3: water and then grow.
1: Yeah, hilarious.
3: And it just it worked out exactly as we could have dreamed of. And and here's the thing. I don't know how this happened, but I'll send it to you guys and you can post it or not. Sage and I's dream and how this came true because we had nothing to do with ice. Hand on heart, hand on dog.
1: Oh, I,
2: I know. Yeah, I know where this is going. You had nothing to do with this part?
3: Nothing. Oh, that's... Oh, it's that's a- awesome. unbelievable. It's so perfect. So Sage and I's dream was that Connor was going to have some guests over to the hot tub and he was going to Find the Orbeez for the first time He's in, front be sh- of, in front showing of, showing off guests. his hot tub to Correct. his guests. Yeah. Correct. Well, sure enough, this happened Tuesday morning. So first day of practice, end of practice. So he had discovered this at like 11 a.m. Or, or noon, and he had tweeted about it. I get out of the car, and Kelly, in a group chat with myself, Sage, and Abby, Sage's wife, said, "There's a video," and we, Sage and I, both our hearts sunk. Because we're like, oh my God, someone saw us and got a video. No, there was a video of one of Connor's guests recording him having a hot tub in the bus lot. Connor's guest had no clue of what was to come, right? There was no, they were not involved in this in any way, shape or form. So we literally have a video of Connor showing off his hot tub and opening the lid to discover the Orbeez completely. you,
2: You got the honest reaction. I have the honest reaction it's so good i thought i thought that you guys let nope. them know
3: no idea who happened. his guests were that he was having guests over never met them in my life
2: yes. unbelievable that's terrific that's absolutely yeah. terrific it
3: so it, it came off as the perfect prank and we got everything that we could have ever desired from it
2: and it and it and it lasted the entire next week Next two sure weeks. It sure yeah, did. it took him a it was, while. It was to a topic take care of that. in
3: the pre ratio. Well, it's not. So what was funny was he was like, "Yeah, I've had some friends come over, and you know, they they've have experience with these, and they estimate there's like four hundred thousand in there, which is crazy." And and Sage and I were just pissing ourselves. Cause we're like, <laughs> yeah, keep going, pal. <laughs> you are, you are not even remotely close to how many of those little balls are in there.
2: And then I love that you dropped it in the middle of the banquet of the five 500- hundred ceremony celebration you dropped a tweet with a screenshot of the amazon order of like 30 bags of seventy five thousand 000
1: <laughs> was this before and then or after you ordered taco bell after <laughs> after
2: but then you text him in the group chat hey connor check twitter and that's how connor figured it out it was brilliant man i applaud well you it, uh the entire world, I think, uh, was impressed with that one. So excellent, excellent work!
3: <laughs> Terrific. And what, what I'm so excited about is like, now we're even. Like, there's no because like
2: this. He, so this was a rebuttal for the golf cart
3: tires on the yeah. top
2: of the bus. Thing I feel like year.
3: he'll be he'll be trying to come back with something. Oh, good luck, pal! Like, <laughs> the ideas that I have lined up are unbelievable. Like he, if he even thinks about it, he's in for a tough experience
2: uh yeah i believe that he believes that and so probably will not strike again would be yeah. my guess but and it, 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 you it, never know
3: if that's the case i'm done like we're even yeah, yeah. all good yeah, yeah but if he comes at me like i've literally got like a notebook <laughs> full of points. a wrath with
2: the fire of a thousand suns will come upon you
3: <laughs> i'm gonna tell you when we stop recording what it is and you'll oh, piss yourself
2: i love it i love it uh, Checo Perez won the Monaco Grand Prix. Great! Very happy. Who cares? Very
3: um, happy for him. We have Detroit this weekend. We really do. excited about it. Are you sad that it's the last race on Belle Isle? I am. I think I it's, am, it's I such am an amazing street course. Um, it it's rewards just so you just trying harder. There's a lot of high speed corners. The concrete, the the bumps that are there. Like I just, it races really well. Yeah. Um.
2: Yeah, like yeah, the, the new layout that. doesn't seem quite as inspiring. But I mean, obviously you don't can't judge it until we get on it. But this one's just so unique. Like the the shape of the corners, the the variety of corners. Yeah, it's bumpy as hell, but whatever. They're like there's a there's a fourth gear, like top of fourth gear, right left S with a bit of elevation and jump at the end on a street circuit. Like that's that's wild. Yeah uh the last two corners you know less than 90s like just cool like turn 10 is like it sucks it's awful but it's super just unique and you can't do that on city streets here in a park you can have a little more freedom to move around but uh yeah it's too bad man it's un- it's unfortunate but you know roger's in charge so that's what we're doing
3: and the world will go on and we're not losing will- a race and we're having another street race which i think are ultimately amazing for the sport and the fans and the excitement level around the whole series so so
2: we're we're back to um so not back to we still have one double header. It's no longer Detroit, it's now Iowa. Thoughts, comments,
3: feelings? Would much rather be Detroit. Okay. I would do a triple header at Detroit before I would want to do a double header at Iowa.
2: <laughs> Is this just because you personally
3: don't like Iowa? Or do you it's think probably it's every all of the things that you're thinking it could be? Right. It's probably all of those. They're all on the list. Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay,
3: well, you, you would just do an entire IndyCar season in Iowa. You and Joseph would just do that. We'd and be perfectly would, happy would, with that. It would be a two-way fight for the championship.
2: It would be, yeah, it'd be pretty so, neat. Yeah. It'd be pretty neat. We mm-hmm. could bring Hunter Ray back and then make it a, make it a three-way show. because He was very good there. He's got a couple gas can trophies himself. Yeah. Um, but yes, so Detroit this weekend, uh, how do you feel about your street course car? You guys have been pretty
3: quick on the street courses. Yeah, I think so. I think Yeah, yeah you're a decent like CP, said, you're decent in
2: um, uh, Long Beach.
3: You know, we've we've been the first or second quickest car there for the past 4 years and still have not found a way to win this one. So, I think we're planning on going there and probably if we do our jobs right, starting on the front row and hopefully we can come away with there with the win before it goes away.
2: Love that. Yeah, well, man. here's hoping. Uh make sure to tune in on NBC. Don't miss Check us. Check it out. And, uh, yeah, any 500 done and dusted always an awesome event. So, so nice to have everybody out. Huge, uh, huge props to everyone that came out to the race, came out to the snake pit. We're hanging out in uh, different lots and tailgating and whatever, whatever. And just selfishly, personally, I want to thank everybody on the NBC team for all the hard work. It's a, it's a long month for everyone, whether it's mechanics, officials, uh, drivers, but uh, everyone that works at IMS, the entire IMS staff, Doug Bowles and, and everyone he's got there and everyone on the, on the production team from NBC. It was a heck of a run, but uh, thrilled with it. Happy that uh, we're through it. We survived it. And now we can move on to this next, uh, next in the season. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next. <laughs> So much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually, we're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to add producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham.